nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, aneconomyofone.com. Aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook, An Economy of One on Facebook. Facebook. If you'd like to send me a question or a comment, please don't hesitate. Email it to producer at aneconomyofone.com. That's producer at aneconomyofone.com. Well, tonight, tonight we got the second presidential election. I'm sure uh, you were riveted to your TVs last week watching the uh, vice presidential debate. Um, I did not. I got I to tell you. I, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I couldn't. I had a tough time reading about it the next day and looking at some of the segments. I mean, it's it, I, I'd say it's Kabuki theater, but I don't want to insult Kabuki theater. I mean, it was terrible. And it shows us who some of these people are. Now, the question I have is, will Trump learn anything from Pence's performance in the vice presidential debate? And will Clinton learn anything from Kane's presidential debate? I hope so. I, 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 I'm not going to watch it tonight. I, I just let you know. I mean, I, I can't do that. I just, I, I can't do it. There isn't enough blood pressure medication in my house to get me through that. So I'll wait until Monday and look at the uh, articles and the analysis and the clips and that kind of stuff. I, I just, I, I can't do it. But it won't be long. won't be long in about 30 days, and it'll be over. And then we can start dealing with 2020, start dealing with the next presidential election. But there's a lot of information out this week, and we talked about this earlier, about the federal government wanting to take over the election process. And there's been stories out there about hackers trying to get into different electoral systems. And we're just not not getting the full story here. So I dug some, uh, did some digging into some stories. And I hate to be conspiratorial, but it kind of lends itself to that. I almost think that one of two scenarios, maybe both scenarios, are in process. One, if the wrong candidate wins in some people's eyes, I think there's going to be all kinds of stuff coming out about the Russians hacking our elections and breaching the integrity of our elections, um, that kind of stuff. And two, I think that no matter what happens, the government wants to take over from the states to control the election systems. I don't think systems are being hacked. I think that maybe, maybe some registration databases are 
are uh, being looked at maybe by hackers, maybe doing a, a digital drive-by, look in the window kind of thing. But I, I don't think anything's been compromised. And the Russians keep coming up. They, they keep blaming it on the Russians. Now, I don't know a lot about hacking. I don't know how to hack things. I'm not a computer uh, geek by any means. But uh, I, I, it just makes sense that if we have 9,000 separate precincts and they each have their own election system, it'd be pretty tough to hack all 9,000 and, and change the outcome or screw up the outcome of an election versus having the Department of Homeland Security in charge and essentially being able to just hack the Department of Homeland Security and, and mess up the election. That's who they, they want to take over. They, they want to deem the election process a, uh, a uh, critical infrastructure. If they deem the, the process a critical infrastructure, then the Department of Homeland Security has jurisdiction, and uh, they can take over. Now, it's very clear in the Constitution, and it was very clear with our Founding Fathers, how they wanted the election process to happen. And they wanted it in the hands of the states. If you remember, well, not if you remember, if you remember your research, if you remember your history in school, the states were very, very concerned about having a federal government at all. They were concerned about giving up their sovereignty. And if you read through the Constitution, the Constitution leans toward the states. Anything that isn't expressly illustrated as powers of the federal government, they're assumed to be responsibilities and powers of the state. Now, the state continually, well, I won't say continue, often is willing to give up their powers and have it fall on the state or on the federal government so it can blame them for anything that goes wrong. But it's not constitutional. It has to be in the states. I want my precinct that I vote in to have as much integrity as possible, of course. And I will lose that confidence if the Department of Homeland Security takes over, if the federal government takes over. We've already seen the federal government poke their nose in the election process. Uh, for example, Arizona, for example, the state. The voters of that state passed a voter ID law, and the federal government comes in and sues and wins. So they don't have a voter ID law. Chicago, it just came out, people can register on the same day they vote. Same day they vote. Governor Jerry Brown in California signed legislation allowing felons to vote. We've seen what's going on in North Carolina that the governor is signing a, a waiver for something like 200,000 prisoners to allow them to vote. Indiana this week, several offices were raided uh, of a, uh, a group signing people up to vote, and they were filling out paperwork for thousands of people that just didn't exist. Things were missing. The addresses didn't correspond. They're just making stuff up. Now, the left will tell you there's absolutely no evidence of voter fraud out there. Well, 
There is, if you look at it. And why would all of these things be happening? You think 200,000 felons in uh, North Carolina are conservatives and they're all going to vote for the conservative? Don't think so. I think that these hackers, these alleged hackers, I, I think the stories about losing integrity in our election system is kind of a false flag. It's designed to make us pause and think, well, you know what, maybe, who could be against, who could be against integrity in the election systems? Who could be against that? I think it's a false flag. Recently, Representative Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia, uh, introduced some uh, legislation called the Election Infrastructure and Security Promotion Act of 2016. And that would allow the DHS to designate the election systems a critical infrastructure. He says that the security of the nation's voting systems are critical to our democracy and that if there's a problem, it could be a destabilization of democracy. Well, you, you, can, you can see how this script, this narrative is going to play out. If the wrong person gets elected next month, they could consider that a destabilization of democracy and talk about some, or lay the, the, the doubt out there, the integrity of the election systems. Will they reverse it? I don't know. I, I, I've reached the point where I darn near believe anything is possible with these people. But we are we are turning into a third world country as far as our political systems go. I mean, you've seen the stories regarding the FBI, the Department of Justice this week, um, and a arms dealer uh, for Libya. I mean, you've seen all these stories, all the insider cronyism, all the the quid pro quo, all the the protecting of their own kind of stuff. And it, 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 it takes away from our confidence in our system. That's the destabilization of our democracy, not some Russian, allegedly Russian, allegedly hacking in. The research that I have read says nothing has been hacked to this point. The firewalls have protected people. It's like putting up a wall around your property, knowing that someone is beating on the outside trying to get in and saying, oh, we need somebody else to manage the wall. There's hackers out there. Well, yeah, there's always hackers out there. Doesn't mean they're hacking in. Just means they're out there. And... I want to watch this very, very closely. I don't think it will affect this presidential election until afterwards if the wrong person wins. But I think in future elections, you're going to see the government, the federal government, wanting to take over the process. And you remember the Affordable Care Act and how screwed up their, their Internet was, their website. 
Do we really want them running the entire election system of all 50 states? I just don't think so. Coming up, we're going to speak with Fritz Wenzel. He's a political research and pollster and partner at Clout Research. A good friend of mine. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he's got his pulse on polling. We'll talk to him next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster at Clout Research. Fritz has presided over survey research and analysis in presidential elections, U.S. Senate, and congressional races all across the country. I've known Fritz for a long time. Fritz, welcome back to the show. Hey, glad to be here, Gary. Thanks so much for inviting me. Man, it's been a long time since we talked. I don't even remember who was running when, but... uh, (laughs) Well, and you know what? It doesn't matter. That's right. (laughs) Because nothing's changed. That's right. You know, there's so many things to jump on here. I told Katie, my producer, when when I read the article about Ohio not being an important state anymore in the race, my first thought was... Okay, is the New York Times playing us, you know, or is it really that way? And then then we were talking. I said, you know what? We need to talk to Fritz. Fritz has got to have a pulse on this since you're an Ohio guy and spent a lot of time here. And and you're also the political guy. So what's the truth about Ohio? Are we a swing state or not? No, we, we are still a swing state and will remain a swing state for the foreseeable future. I think what's going on there is that the New York Times has grabbed hold of some demographic, I think they've cherry-picked, frankly, some demographic characteristics that are changing across the country, not so much here in Ohio. And because this is a year where it's very possible, in fact, I'm almost ready to say it's likely that Donald Trump will win the presidential race here. and I don't want I, – I, I, I can't definitively say that, but right. I would, if I had to say tonight, I had to guess, I would lean towards Trump winning Ohio. And I think what they're trying to do here, uh, you know, is, is probably downplay the importance of Ohio in their national landscape, their national uh, readership, because they – don't want their candidate to look bad. So I think it's as simple as that. I mean, we do polling all over the country, and we we do see demographic changes, but when it comes to Ohio being representative of the electorate nationally, there's really very little that has changed. Overall demographics are changing, and we aren't as representative as we had been in past election cycles and in past decades and generations. But when it comes to the American electorate, that's a different thing. And that's what we focus on, because half the population in America doesn't vote. So to a pollster, those people don't matter. They matter a little bit more this year, because Donald Trump is bringing more of those people into the the voting population, but overall, uh, when you look at the voting population, Ohio is as as representative 
of the nation as a whole as it has been for the last 100 years, I would say. You know, so it's kind of like when we were kids and, and your brother says, I have something and you don't, and you say, well, I didn't really want it anyway. Is that, is that, I mean, you know, yeah, that's, it. That, that's kind of the attitude that even though you did want it, you kind of put it out there that you really didn't want it. You know, you're a pollster and every day, Fritz, every day I see a poll, Trump up by one, Trump up by two. And by the afternoon, it's Hillary's even, Hillary's up by six, Trump is down. I don't understand all the variables that go into a poll. Why am I seeing such a contrast there? I, I know the sampling has an effect on the plus or minus and that kind of stuff, but why is there such a wide variable every day, every day? There are three main factors that go into polling and how the, they will differ. And um, there might be a few more than that, but the three that jump to mind, one is the sample size. How many people are you interviewing? Right. And a lot of the national pollsters will just collect 400 as a sample nationally, and they'll, they'll just say this is a big enough sample. Statistically, it is. You get about a 5% five, 5 plus or minus wobble at that point, which is a 10% difference. I mean, it could be 45-55, or it could be 50-50 uh, with a plus or minus of five. Those polls aren't really to be taken seriously. The other uh, factor has to do with who who is it exactly that they're polling. Are they polling all adults, which happens a lot, especially early in a presidential campaign, like the, a year before the election or even into the uh, into the primary season, you'll see a lot of all adult polls. Well, think about it. All adult polls, half the sample's no good because those people aren't going to vote. So you've got to throw out any poll that is all adults, just throw it out. We're talking with Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster at the Clout Research. Fritz, I got a couple more questions, but I got to take a break. Can you hang on for a couple minutes? You bet. Love to. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We're speaking with Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster at Clout Research. You know, we're down the last 30 days. And I know that the research you do is, is like you said, it's not published. So the, these are, are, I'm assuming, these are, are candidates and, and think tanks and, and uh, advisors to candidates that, that want as accurate as information as they can get the last 30 days what's your life like i mean are you doing polls all day every day and compiling data and do you do any of the analysis on the data or just collect the data uh, and, and before we get to that let me go back to the to the all voter poll you have another factor you have registered voters right. which is okay it's still not a very good sample we use in all our work and we do 99% of our work is private polling for political candidates or political action committees or 
other third-party interested uh, people. Okay. But it's it's not released. Uh, it's all held very close to the vest, and and uh, uh, and we only poll likely voters. There are a couple of different ways you get this. Now, when a newspaper conducts a survey, they don't get their numbers. They don't get their their pool of possible respondents from the same place that inside politicos get their numbers. We're getting, they will pull in a sample generally from a list vendor that does not, it's not a political list. Mm. Our lists are political and they're vetted and we can, we can uh, manipulate those, those, big phone list, that big, that big pool of possible respondents in such a way that we can get voter, a, a good, healthy mix of solid voters who are there every time, occasional voters, and, and relu- what we call reluctant voters. And, and so this year we're folding in a higher percentage of reluctant voters and some New voters who are who are newly registered or they've registered in the last four years, but they never voted. And the reason we're doing that now is because we believe Trump will be attracting a lot of new people into the system. And we want to poll even Gary when we're polling, uh, uh, say, a congressional race somewhere in the country. We'll use that sample because the top of the ticket is going to drive the down ticket races, right. including U.S. Senate and U.S. Congress. Those are the three main factors, though, that you run into when when you start looking at poll variability. Then a fourth factor, real quick, is the mix of Democrats to Republicans right. to independents that are included in the poll. Generally, most polls are transparent about that. Some it's difficult to tell what that mix is, but that's, that can be a key factor too. Now, the last 30 days, we have staff that are are doing the actual production of the survey instruments, doing the fielding of the survey. I'm watching over that Mm -hmm. because I own the company (laughs) and I, you know, I, I I want my fingers in everything, but I don't micromanage and we, we have very good people. So, um, but I'm doing a ton of, Analysis, but just to give your your uh, your listeners a, an idea, we typically we're a small firm, so we're typically doing anywhere, and a, 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 say a July, a typical presidential election year, July, we'll be doing thirty, maybe forty polls a month. Wow. Now, now we are doing about three times that. So we're just we're just pounding away around the clock almost. We work in all four time zones. We don't poll in Alaska. But we work we work in all four time zones and it's just it's crazy. But I'll tell you what, it's a great deal of fun because you go to bed at night knowing more than certainly anyone on T V yeah. and pretty much almost everyone in the country. So I it's it's fun to be ahead of the curve. Now that being said, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. How confident do you feel? We're 30 days out. How confident do you feel on what you think the outcome is going to be? I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you think the outcome is going to be. I'm just going to ask you how confident do you feel uh, as to what the outcome is going to be in November? I think it's. I think this one's pretty well baked already. I, I really do. I don't. Ex- we've already gone through several waves this year that 
observers would expect big things to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the whole Clinton email drama and the FBI investigation and all of that. Nothing happened. It didn't move the numbers. You had the conventions. The numbers didn't move. They did temporarily, but they settled back in. I was thinking in, well, just after the conventions and after things kind of settled down, I was thinking, okay, the numbers are going to move if they're ever going to move forcefully one way or the other, it's going to happen right after the first debate. Well, nothing happened. Uh, the numbers did not move. They're very likely not going to move the next time the uh, you know, upcoming, the uh, presidential candidates are going to take the stage again. It's very unlikely that the numbers are going to move because of the debates. So many people have uh, perceptions of these two candidates. There aren't a lot of questions that are unanswered. And so I, I really, uh, I, I think if anything's going to change the perception or, or dramatically affect this race, it's going to be something unexpected, and it's going to take down one of the candidates, not in a scandal. I really think it's going to come down to one thing, and that is Hillary Clinton's health. If she remains healthy, this is going to be a battle royal for the last vote. If she, if she doesn't remain healthy, it's going to throw a lot of confusion into the minds of voters, and it could very much affect the last-minute deciders. But I really don't think, unless, I guess the other factor could be a, a national emergency, an attack, right. a massive terrorist attack, because we've had terrorist attacks on U.S. soil this year, right. and it hasn't really moved the vote. Right. So right. I, I think that's where we are. This one's pretty baked. It's going to be a very close race, and it's going to come down to two or three states. I think that's going to be it. We're speaking with Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster extraordinaire at Clout Research. Uh, Fritz, we had uh, uh, you, you kind of talked about it in the, in the last segment as far as the uh, debates go. Uh, earlier this week, we had the vice presidential debate. We got another presidential debate coming up. You mentioned these don't haven't been moving the numbers much. Are they important, or is it fodder for future commercial spots? I, I really think it's just that. It, it's just, they aren't moving voters this year. Other election cycles, it has moved the, the electorate, but it, it's just there's nothing happening in these debates that has caused anyone to, to move. And part of the reason, I think, is that they don't really focus on issues. They're not talking to voters about issues voters care about. They're mm -hmm. only talking about each other. And, you know, as, as, as self-absorbed as you must be to run for president, the truth is voters really don't care that much about them. They care about their own lives. Right. And neither, neither voter, uh, neither candidate, I think, is really connecting with, uh, with voters in a visceral way. I think this, if I were to criticize the Trump campaign on one key issue, it's that they've missed an opportunity to talk directly with voters. To the extent that he does that more in the next debates, I think he'll benefit. Hillary Clinton doesn't really have a lot to, to talk about with, with swing voters. She certainly can energize her base. Mm -hmm. She's not been able to reach independence. Trump is doing much better than her with independence, not only here in Ohio, but all across the country. We have a, a, a good example of that is from the state of Oregon, where we've just come out of the field with a poll, a public poll I can talk a little bit about, simply to say that the presidential race is very tight there within the margin of error. 
Oregon hasn't voted for a Republican for president in, I can't tell you how long, I think 1980. And the same thing, uh, down ticket, uh, she is not bringing Democratic governor candidates and U.S. Senate candidates along very well as, e- as well either. And that's, you know, that's a factor. But when it comes to the debates, uh, neither candidate is really connecting with voters. And so it's, it's not really having an effect. You know, we got uh, got about a minute left, Fritz. I want to ask you. And, and I'm thinking as you're talking here, and they're they're kind of kind of sticking their tongue out at each other and poking each other in the eye for an hour and a half on TV. Is that representative of the country? I mean, you've had your pulse on this for years and years and years, and I feel like the country is more polarized than it's ever been. People are more on edge. There's a lot more anxiety out there, and they're, they're just. I mean, when 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 research comes out and says Canadians are happier than we are, I got a problem with that. Is that representative of us? I don't know. I don't think the candidates represent us at all, and I okay. think that's that's why you see such a disconnect with uh, with uh, the, the the public. That's why, frankly, you've seen the rise of the Tea Party in 2010 and the rise of the Trump campaign. That's what's fueling it. People are frustrated that Washington is not listening or reflecting their interests or their values. Otherwise, we wouldn't be $20 trillion in debt and fighting wars all over the the world. So, no, it's it's because people are frustrated that there's this big disconnect. They don't reflect us anymore. That's the problem. Okay. Well, we've been speaking with Fritz Wenzel. He's a researcher, analyst, and pollster at Clout Research. Fritz, once again, thank you so much. This has been a highlight of my day, and I hope we can tap you on the shoulder again soon. Look forward to it. Thanks very much, Gary. I appreciate it. I'm Gary Rathman. This is Economy of One, your free market voice of the U.S. That was Fritz Wenzel at Clout Research, and I'm looking at the wrong clock. An Economy of One with Gary Rathman. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, I read everything. I, I probably read four or five hundred pages a day. And I, and I don't tell you that to to uh, try to impress upon you that I'm, I'm really, really smart because I read a lot. I, I tell you that because uh, I read a lot. And if I get deep enough into a subject, sometimes I will change my mind. And that happened this week. I was reading uh, some uh, articles out of the Mises Institute, particularly uh, regarding term limits. And I've always been one in favor of term limits. I, I think that politicians get entrenched into the system and it skews against getting new blood in there. And I keep thinking, well, we've got to get new blood in there. We've got to get these old cronies out. We've got to have new people that have a limited amount of time so they can't get get purchased by the lobbyists and that kind of stuff. And, and reading through some stuff at Mises um, caused me to pause. And uh, they, they, they make a really good case that term limits aren't the solution. 
That's one of those things that seems right, feels right, won't change anything. And then I listened to some of my my old shows from way back when, and I, I said many, many months ago that you could replace 100 senators and replace 435 representatives and nothing would change. And that's absolutely true. The, the, the players are not the problem. They just perpetuate the problem. The problem is government in and of itself. It's not money in government. It's not term limits. It's government itself. How many times have we seen stories about legislatures, congressional people, passing or voting on legislation that they've never read? And in fact, there's even been um, rules put out there that before people can vote on it, they have to have the the legislation for two days, three days, five days. Give them time to read it. Okay. Well, even with that, none of them read it. What happens is staffers have the real power. I didn't really think about this until I read through this, but staffers are the ones that write the policy. They brief the Congress members on it, tell them which way to vote, and that's it. So it's the staffers that are part of the problem. It's the staffers that have the network and the connections and understand the lobbyists and know the lobbyists. It's the staffers that write the legislation. Can Congress, congressional members, are just actors. They really don't care. They spend the vast majority of their time fundraising for re-election. Most of their time is spent campaigning and raising money. Very little of their time is spent on congressional matters. It's all done behind the scenes. They show up and say yay or nay, and then they go back to what they do best, and that's working on getting reelected. Putting term limits in won't change that game. Won't change the game. We need to change the game. Now, case can be made that the longer somebody's there, the more connections they have, the more money they have. But that doesn't matter if the game stays the same. Think of term limits and think of every single congressional member essentially having a lame duck period to their career. We've seen what presidents do when they're a lame duck. Now, in the past, many, many years ago, lame duck meant really that the president couldn't do much of anything. Well, that was before presidents started ignoring the Constitution, cranking out all kinds of executive orders, instructing government agencies to write rules and regulations that bypass Congress, and 
Congress letting them do it. We've seen this president's lame duck period not be so lame. This guy is as active, if not more so, than when he wasn't a lame duck. So can you imagine 100 senators, 435 representatives, all being in a lame duck position at some point in their career? They got nothing to lose. They got nothing to lose. Remember, they're all in a campaign mode all the time. Well, if they're not, they can't be reelected. What are they going to do? I'm reminded of an old phrase. There's none so free as he who has nothing left to lose. And if they don't have to be reelected, if they don't have to be concerned about their actions coming back to affect their campaign, who knows what kind of actions they would take. So we could replace them all, and nothing would change in the game. The game is what the game is. Money doesn't change it. Changing the actors doesn't change it. Most of their schedule is based on fundraising and campaigning. So I don't want to be overly cynical about this, but we got to attack the real source of the problem, and that is government itself. If the responsibilities of Congress was limited to their original constitutionally defined roles, There'd be a lot less for them to do, far fewer laws to understand, and the value of institutional knowledge that these staffers have would be depleted. Now, if there was no federal government at all, there would be no Congress, and consequently, we wouldn't have to fix it. Now, I'm not going to go that far. I think we need a federal government, but I think we need to learn a whole lot more about the Constitution and figure out how to make these people accountable to the Constitution so that if they don't fulfill their constitutional duties, then we can throw them out, maybe even throw them in jail. But there's got to be consequences to their actions. We'll see. Not real optimistic. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 